Hello there. Before we get started on the latest Walk podcast, just a reminder that the Walk Awards for Effectiveness are back and they're bigger and better than ever. We've expanded from six categories to 11, so if you can show your work has worked, there'll be a category for you. Entries are now open and best of all, they're free. Head to walk.com for more details and to download your entry pack. Remember to submit before the deadline on the 29th of March. Good luck. Now, let's get to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Walk Podcast. My name's David Tiltman and this is the first of a special seven-part series on effectiveness. And this was a series that was first developed uh, last year in partnership with Fergus O'Carroll's excellent On Strategy Showcase. Um, We're bringing those episodes to Walk's own podcast channel. So if you've not already listened to them, then you're in for a treat. We'll be running one a week every Tuesday for the next seven weeks. Now, I'm going to hand over to Fergus in a moment. But but before I do so, I just want to flag some of the thinking behind this series. The starting point for Fergus and for us was that effectiveness isn't just what you do at the end of the process. It's not just measuring what's happened. It's a whole series of decisions that need to be made throughout the process. And a recurring theme throughout the series is that effectiveness really only works as a team sport. There are lots of people and lots of inputs required to create work that generates really significant results. Now, this first episode really sets the scene for that. And it's it's an interview with uh, James Herman, who is founder of an innovation agency called Previously Unavailable, a former strategist and a regular collaborator with us at Walk. Now, uh, James will refer to uh, a paper called The Effectiveness Code. Um, And just to give you a bit of background before you get into the uh, interview, The Effectiveness Code was a report that we launched back in 2020. And we, we launched it because we really wanted to understand how we could make a better case for effectiveness, and particularly for effectiveness through creativity. And one of the big findings of that research piece, we went out and interviewed lots of clients and strategists all over the world, was that they were really struggling with the definition of effectiveness. What did it actually mean to be effective? One of the things that report introduced was the concept of a creative effectiveness ladder, a sort of hierarchy of different kinds of effect that creative marketing can produce and uh, what that offers is a sort of guide to to thinking about how we want our communications to work. The other principle that comes out of the effectiveness code is something called creative commitment, which is a sort of combination of budget, duration, and that is time in market, and also the sort of number of channels that that a campaign runs on. And really, this is about trying to define and codify the circumstances in which creativity is most likely to work. So the idea that creativity is an important lever, but it's not the only thing. It needs to be built on on the right platform. So two really important principles there, and James is going to explain those in a little bit more detail. That's quite enough for me uh, for this episode. And now I'll hand over to Fergus. Let's talk about what's important, do you feel, in that first early stage of setting the right objectives 
and budgeting realistically? It's really amazing. If you look at the IPA data, they've done studies on uh, how good the, the client and agency community is at uh, at setting objectives in the first place. And they've got some really quite horrifying data, which shows that in uh, if they look at marketers uh, who within their, their own organization are clear on the objectives for marketing uh, in the short term, and in the long term, they find that only about 20% of marketers are actually clear on what their objectives are to begin with. And then that, of course, translates into briefs to agencies. So agencies report that only about 20% of the time do they get uh, client briefs into their agency with really clear objectives on them. And when you think about it, that's just mental. I mean, yeah. how can we expect, you know, how can we expect an agency to to deliver on the goals of the, the their clients if we can't even articulate what those goals are beyond just broadly, you know, we want to build the brand and we want to grow sales. I mean, of course, everyone wants to do that, but we're very, we're, we're not very good at all about getting specific about what we're really trying to do with each campaign. The other thing that I think is really important about being clear on objectives is so often, and you know, everyone out there who works in an agency or a marketing department will relate to this. So often we get, you know, halfway through the creative development of a campaign, and then people in the client business sort of drop into the process. And if the objectives haven't been set very clearly, they bring their own objectives, right? Yes, they yes. fill the objective void with their own sort of objectives. And like, well, I think the campaign should be achieving this, and I don't see how it's achieving this. And another person across the room is like, well, I think we should be achieving this, and this work's not doing that either. So we get into that really frustrating situation where, you know, it, it's, a, it's an impossible task for the agency to deliver on multiple sort of um, competing objectives. Uh, so one of the great things about setting objectives very clearly in the early stages before the brief is delivered and socializing those objectives around the organization. So everyone who's going to be looking at the work is looking at it through the same lens. We're all lined up around what we're trying to do. And so we can, you know, give the agency a fighting chance of actually doing that. Uh, so I think that that sort of that inability to really be disciplined about setting objectives at the start has lots of kind of, uh, you know, ongoing negative effects. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we're going to lean in on with Mark Ritson is the distinction between the client brief and the agency brief and, um, and, and really begin to understand what we should expect in a client brief mm. and what the client brief should avoid. One of the muddy issues that's not fully clear to me, and maybe we'll get a little bit more clarity on it when we get into these individual episodes, is understanding who's responsible for marketing strategy at the at the high level. It, do we expect or should we expect a client brief to have a defined strategy? And And what's your opinion on that? Or is that something that is later worked on together? Yeah, I, so I think in terms of who owns the marketing strategy, that should absolutely be the client. Uh, and so from a broad marketing perspective, which obviously, you know, advertising is is one small but important part of your overall marketing plan. And that's the um, distinction that's important is to realize that advertising is just one component of marketing strategy, right? Yeah, that's right. And so 
the client should really have a clear strategy for marketing, like what are their marketing objectives and what are their sort of overall strategies to achieve those marketing objectives. Uh, and then the agency should really own the campaign objectives, in, in my opinion. So what I mean by that is, is the client should be bringing in real clarity around what the business objectives are for this campaign. Like what are we you know, trying to achieve at a kind of commercial level? And then they should be lead, leaning on the, the planners in their agency to say, uh, to help define how should we get there, right? What are the, what are the objectives within that that we should be chasing to, uh, to accomplish that commercial goal? So, so I think of that as, I mean, to give you sort of more, some more specificity around that, the client might say, hey, we need to improve our market share by five points this year. So we really need a campaign that's going to improve market share by five points. What the planner is going to go away and do, the planner should be going away and saying, okay, what's it going to take to do that? What kind of brand shifts or behavior shifts do we need to be kind of generating in order for us to achieve that 5% gain in market share? And what are the consumer insights that help us understand what's in our way? Why are they not already buying our product at the level that we want them to be? And how do we kind of, you know, how do we gather insight around, uh, you know, why they don't behave in the way that we want them to? And so we can really attack those root causes. So the agency might say, we think, the the, uh, the the objectives for this campaign should be to cause this kind of behavioral shift or this kind of brand shift to ladder up to that overall commercial goal. Yeah, it's interesting because, the, the, you know, the second episode in the series is going to be Julian Cole, and he's going to be talking about how to write and present uh, effective briefs. And uh, in that conversation, we're going to be, you know, driving the distinction between client brief and sort of creative brief and the fact that they have very different audiences and how to write them in, in an effective way. I mean, I, I know that Julian, you know, shares the opinion of the sort of the, the um, client brief really being about the business problem where the creative brief has to be around the, the um, sort of the consumer problem. Um, what, what's your point of view on how critical the creative brief is in terms of how well it's written and, and what's contained in it, because I know that we're going to be shaping that 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 episode around what I think is a brilliant creative brief format, which is the the get to buy brief that I think was origi originally um, framed by BBDO. I'm not sure that every agency in the network used that that briefing template, but we certainly did. Um, and yeah, it's it's very. I mean, it's based around. Uh, I mean, it's based around a really solid understanding of what good strategy is, which is a real clarity around the objectives and then an insightful understanding of what it will take for, uh, you know, to move a consumer in a way that achieves those objectives. So, so I think it's a really, you know, it's a, it's a really strong template um, for, um, for briefing. Um, and, and I think it's interesting because like you, like you were saying, you know, the, the role of the client brief is very different to the creative brief. You know, the client brief is, um, should be presenting the business objective and presenting, you know, sufficient information around, you know, whatever information they've got that helps the agency understand the business 
um, why the, the objective is the objective, um, their consumers and what they know about them, all of that information. It can be quite a long document. That's absolutely okay. Um, and it doesn't need to be particularly inspiring, frankly. Uh, whereas a creative brief, you know, you're trying to light a fire under a creative team, right? You're trying to inspire them and give them a leaping off point, which is, um, which is so simple and single-minded and kind of inspiring and compelling that they just can't wait to get to work on solving that problem. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's a really different thing. And actually in my experience, you know, I, I was once asked um, by someone if they could see the briefs behind the award-winning work that I'd been a part of. Uh, and I look back over the briefs and to be honest with you, none of them would that like you wouldn't look at them and kind of go, wow, that's an amazing brief. Um, and what I'd really learned because I spent a couple of years as a creative person, I was, I was a copywriter for a couple of years. And so I was kind of taking briefs from, uh, from the, the suits and the planners and the agency. And, you know, if you're, it, it's really interesting because they'll come into the room with a brief and you'll sit down with them and they'll talk you through the creative brief. Uh, and then they'll, ask you, you know, do, do you understand? Is that clear? And normally you'll say, no, uh, not really. <laughs> and then you'll keep talking. You'll keep talking to them. And, and you know, me and my creative partner would sit there with the, the planner and the suit and we'd, we'd just keep talking about it, right? We'd keep talking about the content of the brief. We'd keep talking about the client's business and the consumer and the problem. And, you know, if we talk for long enough, Eventually, someone in the room would say something, right? Something quite off the cuff, and what? And and one of us would go, "That's it. There's yes. a creative idea in there." Now, it's really, really hard for even the best planner in the world to know when that moment of inspiration is going to happen and put it down on a brief. Um, it's it's actually, you know, in in my experience, in my opinion it's so much more important to create room for that aha moment to happen than to, you know, slave away trying to get the perfect proposition down on a brief. And so what I used to do in my time at Colenso was really start talking to the creative people long before I'd written the brief, keep talking to them, you know, get the brief into a place where they felt that it was a good creative leaping off point. Um, and then not stick too firmly to that, but just keep talking, keep having those conversations. And that was in the service of creating as much room as possible for that kind of aha moment to happen where a great idea just sort of suddenly revealed itself. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in that too. I, I think that many times the briefs, although I found that the get to by brief is a brilliant format, other formats though, I think tend to sterilize thinking. They tend to dilute uh, imaginative ideas. And, mm -hmm. I, and I'm, and I think what, what I want to be able to achieve in this episode with Julian is to understand the importance of getting thinking right. And whether that thinking ends up on in a conversation or it ends up on a on a simple brief format, uh, that it has to happen, right? It, there has to be sort of that sort of um, rigor that goes into creating it because it's the center of gravity for everything, whether it's that conversation that results in an aha moment or whether it's the actual written document. If that isn't right, Everything else uh, becomes sort of um, loose, loosey sort of, or becomes unstructured as you go down the road. The chances of things being based on any any strong set of principles or a strong uh, so solid direction begins to fall apart unless you get that right. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And, and getting it right is about two things, really. It's a, it's about getting it strategically right, um, but it's also about getting it creatively right. And what I mean by that is it's yes. a, it, it, it is really a great creative leaping off point. And going back to the difference between a client brief and, and a creative brief, I mean, the, the, in my view, the, the agency and the planners should be writing to the client brief, so forming strategy to that brief. The creative people should be writing from the creative brief. So it should be a leaping off point, like I say. You know, they're, what do you, they're what writing do you, can you explain that, that again? What was the distinction again? Yeah. So, so a client brief, you should write to that brief. Uh, and that I mean you, you're really trying to, you know, achieve the objectives in that brief. You're You're really trying to stay really close to what's called for in that client brief when you go through the strategy process. So writing to a brief is different to writing from a brief. Writing from a brief is I'm going to use it as a leaping off point. I'm not sure where it's going to go. It might end up in a place that's actually fundamentally quite different to what's on this brief, but but it's a it's a fantastic idea that everyone believes is going to do the you know do the job well um, and and be really effective. And and so I think that's where it's a you know a creative brief in, in my opinion should be a less didactic document and and more of a a document of inspiration a leaping off point. Yeah, I think great point. So Julian is going to be doing uh, episode number two. Episode three is going to be on a creating work that works. So this is this is going to be a, a conversation about how do we get from the brief to developing uh, the work that is not only going to be creative and imaginative, but is also going to be oriented towards being effective. Um, and I think in I think in many ways it's about not only the importance of of uh, of an idea but a, an, a, the importance of highly creative ideas and i know that that's something that you've you, i mean you your book the case for creativity focused a lot on the critical nature of that mm. yeah that's right uh i mean and this is where i mean i think this is going to be the most difficult of your modules to to really kind of capture because you're <laughs> yeah. we're, we're trying to sort of bottle up the magic of creativity if you yeah. know what i mean um which is a kind of uh you know it's a it's 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 very hard to kind of define but what we do absolutely know is that campaigns that have creative award-winning qualities and what i mean by that is they have the things that creative award judges look for which are three things mainly one of those things is originality has this been done before is this a really original idea one is engagement so is this a really is this the kind of idea that draws people towards it they really want to kind of engage with it um, and thirdly uh, craft execution so is it executed in a way you know that that really serves that idea really beautifully um, and work that has those qualities is much much more likely to be highly effective than work that doesn't have those qualities and uh, and certainly you know that's proven out in all of the data and all of the research around this of which there is now sort of mountains of and there's there's really no evidence uh you know I I anywhere in the world that taking a less creative approach is a more effective thing to do in terms of the commercial effectiveness of campaigns um and the reason that i i the, the reason that i wrote that book was actually when i became a head of planning i thought about what my role really was you know what i was there to do and ultimately you know my view was that it was about ensuring the agency produces the most effective work possible 
So I needed to understand what were the constituent parts of effectiveness. And, and one of those parts was creativity. I needed to know for myself whether it was important that we chased creative award-winning work um, or, or it wasn't. You know, should I be pointing my department and our planning process towards creating work that's, you know, highly creative or should we be focusing on other things? And so I undertook that study because at that time, you know, really the research hadn't been done and and we had lots of rhetoric from creative people about the power of creativity, um, but we didn't really have a lot of kind of science or data around that proving whether they were right or not. And so, so I went on this mission to kind of uncover all of the research that had been done in academic institutions, um, uh, do some of my own research and, and data analysis. At the same time, Peter Field was uh, was doing the IPA study, the link between creativity and effectiveness. And so I kind of brought all of that together and looked at it. And it was you know, absolutely crystal clear that if we wanted to be the most effective we could possibly be as an agency, we had to be producing work that was highly creative. I do sessions with clients where we just looked at the best work in the world together and we got excited about it together and we looked at how effective it was and, and what the characteristics of great work looked like and really kind of got them excited about creativity and gave them enough of a basis for belief that they could defend that excitement internally so that they would come into Colenso They'd walk in asking for highly creative work in the first place. And so that made it much easier. And then the second thing was just having a really close friendship between the planning department and the creative department. Yeah, and I think the, the, the best planners have the ability to have the hard conversations with creatives without either side getting uh, offended. And because it's yeah. diff, it's difficult because a lot of ideas are wonderfully imaginative, but it's but the actual connection between the meeting the business or the marketing goal and the idea, the distance can sometimes be far apart. And I think that's what a lot of planners struggle with is, is being able to have those types of conversations where when they see an idea that's come back from the creative group and they, they feel that it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't appear to actually address the strategy that was in the document or in the brief. Having those conversations, I think, and being able to understand ways to have those conversations effectively can make or break careers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, um, that is the real, that's the true art of great planning is to be in a position where you can have those those conversations and the creative team believes that you are having that conversation in their best interests, not not just in your own best interests or the client's best interests or whatever. Um, and, and that's about, you know, what I said before about just forming that really strong bond where they really believe you're on their team and that you're on their side. So that gives you permission to have that conversation. And then the other, the other thing is how to have that conversation. And what I think, you know, having been a creative person and also having just worked with incredible creative people and creative directors, What's really helpful um, when uh, when you're sort of feeding back on an idea is that you 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 spot the good bit in the idea, if you know what I mean. Um, rather than just saying I don't think this is right, um, and can you go go away and come up with something else? What the what a great creative leader will do is look at work and say that. There's a really, there's a really good idea, or there's a really strong kind of thought 
in this part of the campaign, this bit of the idea that you've presented. Can we expand on that? Can we use that as a basis to kind of like, you know, develop the campaign further? And what a great planner will do is go, there's a really interesting strategic thought in this bit of what you've presented, right? There's something that's really strategically strong about about this bit. Like the rest of it, not sure, but can we develop that bit further? And that, and and that, we're, bit could, able- that could be a headline. It could be a line in, in body copy. It could be an image. Uh, it's totally. that sort of yeah. component, right? Yeah, it could be anything. And like the best, you know, the best people that work in the field of creativity are able to spot the good in ideas and then work on, you know, how do we fix the bits that aren't right? And so that I think is a skill that every every planner should, and, and frankly, everyone in an agency or a marketing team should really try and cultivate is that ability to first look for the good in an idea and then, and then help shape that in a way that... Uh, that you know starts to conform more to the, the the brief or the objectives or you know help shape that 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 bit of brilliance in a way that is going to mean that it's delivered really effectively. Yeah, so we'll, we're we're going to dig into that deeper in this episode, uh, creating work that works. That's episode number three, and we're we're also going to be digging into the importance of understanding the different types of personalities of creative individuals. And I think because not all like like none of us are all the same, so there's almost types within creatives. Some that are more sort of uh, strategically oriented, some that are more conceptually oriented, some that are a blend, and then understanding how to make, uh, how to work with that different personality type. The next one that we're planning episode four is on comms planning. And um, this again is a critical part, particularly when we've, when we've got so many more choices and, and ways and places to, to elevate messages and to, to put our messages into different environments. I mean, this was one of the kind of unintended outcomes of the effectiveness code research. It was a, a pattern that we, sort of spotted working through the data um, and and the way that the way that uh, walk and the IPA and can Lions collect data on the cases that are entered into their various award programs is they always collect data on the duration the length of time that the campaign ran for uh, the spend the amount of media money that was uh, that was spent on the campaign and the number of media channels that the campaign was spread out across. So we had these three variables for most of the campaigns in our databases. Uh, and what we could see was that campaigns seemed to become more effective uh, whenever when, whenever any of those variables increased. So campaigns that ran for longer durations were more effective than campaigns that ran for short durations. Campaigns that were spread out over more different media were more effective than campaigns that concentrated around one or two media. And campaigns that had lots of money spent on them were unsurprisingly more effective than campaigns that didn't have much money spent on them. And so we we sort of started to think of these three variables as forms of commitment. So the amount of money committed to a creative idea, the amount of time committed to a creative idea, the amount of different media channels committed to a creative idea. So we called this idea creative commitment. And creative commitment is basically what we could do was sort of form a kind of composite metric of those three variables. So uh, so if you imagine some campaigns 
had very low budget, very low duration, very low number of media. So they got a very low score. Um, some campaigns had very high budgets, very high number of media, very high, very long duration. They got a very high score. Most campaigns are somewhere in the middle. They're a mixture. So you might have a campaign that's got a really high budget, but only ran in one media and ran for a medium length of time or another campaign that had a low budget, but it was spread out over a medium duration and spread across a few channels, these sorts of things. So every campaign sort of has its own creative commitment fingerprint, and we can score all of the campaigns in our database with this creative commitment score. And then we can look at how that correlates with effectiveness. And when we did the analysis, it was one of those wow moments where we looked at the data and there was this almost perfect linear relationship between a creative commitment score and its ultimate effectiveness in market. Um, and the high creative commitment campaigns were much more effective than the low creative commitment campaigns. We found that in the walk and can lines data. And then that's really where, where I brought Peter in. Uh, and asked him to run the same analysis using his IPA databank and, and the metrics that he uses around effectiveness. And he found exactly the same, very robust, very linear relationship between creative, uh, creative commitment and effectiveness. So that was a really exciting finding, um, really because we can start to use creative commitment as a predictive measure. So before a campaign goes out and runs in market, we usually know how much money we're going to spend on it, how long we're going to run it for, and how many different media channels we're going to spread it out amongst. And so we know the creative commitment score before a campaign runs. So that means we can predict whether its effectiveness is going to be high or low. And, and that gives us a way to, you know, if we go back to the business or go back to the clients and say, look, you've got a really, really, you know, you really need this campaign to change the game for you, but your creative commitment is actually very low. So we need to either reorient our expectations around how, you know, the sorts of results that this campaign is going to drive, or we need to give it some more fuel, you know, so let's give it some more budget, let's run it for longer and spread it out across more media. So it enables us to, you know, understand before we run a campaign, how, how effective it's likely to be, which is a very useful thing to understand, obviously. Yeah, and, and, and in this episode, our plan is to look at channels, channel selection, channel sort of appropriateness, and also look at not only the factor of attention and the level of engagement that that uh, communications are getting, but also the the importance of the creative idea. Because I think when, when we talk about how you can dial up the factors of spend, duration, and number of channels, um, I got to assume that that is not necessarily the case for all campaigns uh, if, if you don't factor in the importance of the creative idea, because that idea can have more sort of, um, uh, sort of a, um, a stickiness to it that may compensate for a lower level of spend if you have a higher level of creativity, or, or, or is that not empirically true? Uh, it is empirically true. So, so certainly when we look at creative commitment um, and we look at the campaigns that have won creative awards versus the ones that haven't, at every level of creative commitment, the creatively awarded campaigns are more effective. So, yes, that's certainly true. I mean, what I, what I would always warn against is 
thinking about creativity as a substitute for appropriate levels of spend or duration or or media channels. Um, it's a magnifier, an amplifier of the effect of those things. It's not a replacement for them. So what we should be doing, you know, best practice is to have strong levels of creative commitment and also a highly creative idea. That's how we're going to get to that really sort of top tier effectiveness for our, our work. And the last episode that we're going to be doing is um, episode five is on defining and measuring impact. So this will be a conversation about about data, about methodology, about uh, understanding performance and performance gaps. And it's sort of this idea of understanding that once you once you come to the end of a cycle, you land and then you've got to understand what's been achieved. But that also then feeds into next year. So we're going to be talking about the importance of not only benchmarking, but understanding the impact of what that achievement has been for the following year. And I know that you talk about it in terms of sort of land and expand in the uh, in the effectiveness code document. Can you talk a little bit about that? What I meant by land and expand is, you know, we have a, a tendency as as a marketing and advertising community to do wildly effective work and then just consign it to history, move on and start again, like, you know, next time. Um, and if you think about like a, you know, I'll use, I use, uh, I'll use share a Coke as a good example of this. So share a Coke, um, was a promotion that was originally conceived in Australia by Ogilvy for Coca-Cola. And, uh, and they came up with this idea of putting, people's names on on the cans and bottles of coke and it was uh it was a wildly successful promotion in australia uh, but it was only ever meant to be an australian promotion uh what they did was they noticed how effective that was and they said okay how can we how can we keep this going and how can we build on this so how can we do more work around this idea of sharing a coke and uh, and the the head of creative effectiveness at Coca Cola came around a whole bunch of agencies in the region. At the time, I was planning partner at Ogilvy in Shanghai, and and the, this client said to us, "I want ideas uh, that are just based on on share a Coke. Like that's the only brief. There's not even a written brief or anything. There's nothing. I just want I just want to see cracking creative ideas around the idea of share a coke and so what graham fink did who was the chief creative officer at uh, at, at ogilvy in shanghai at the time graham said you know here's the brief to his creative department he also rung up this kid uh, who lived in hong kong and who had um i don't know if you remember when steve jobs died there was a drawing of the Apple logo with Steve's face carved out yes. with a bite in the apple is usually. So yeah. right, just a just an absolutely iconic image. And so he rang that kid and he was this like Hong Kong Chinese kid who was, I don't know, like 18 or 19 at the time or something. And uh, and he, he said to this kid, you know, he gave this kid the brief, share a coke. And this kid went away for a week and he came back with uh, the dynamic ribbon with hands passing a Coke in the, in the dynamic ribbon. And that became <laughs> that amazing piece of work that won, you know, Grand Prix um, print or outdoor or something, Grand Prix outdoor, I think, at, uh, at Lions um, that year and was just like an absolutely, you know, beautiful piece of work. 
And then what happened is they they said, right, let's keep doing this. Let's let's take share of Coke to every major market in the world and execute that every all over the world. And of course, what happened was they ended up with this absolutely, you know, profound um, growth in in the in the brand because they'd taken this idea, they'd noticed that it worked brilliantly, and they'd said, how do we really? How do we build on this? Not just chuck it away and do another different promotion. How do we actually take this and kind of blow it up and take it everywhere in the world and expand on it? And and that's one thing that we as a community are useless at doing most of the time. We tend to do our best work and then just throw it away. And so the land and expand thing was really like, if you've got a tiger by the tail, you know, if you've got a really great idea that's really working, you know, think about how to just keep doing that and keep building on that. That's how you get to where Snickers has got where you're not with you're not you when you're hungry, where Dove has got with Campaign for Real Beauty. You know, they've noticed that these these ideas or these platforms are immensely powerful and and they never set out to run you're not you when you're hungry for, you know, as many years as they have, nor campaign for real beauty, but they've had the discipline to say, this is really working and let's keep doing it. And so that's something I think we need to get a lot better as a community. at home. So if for those who want to read it, it's, it's a terrific document. It's called the effectiveness code by our guest here, James Herman and um, Peter Field uh, were involved, uh, worked with uh, can lines and work. Uh, in the preparation of this document, this white paper, I got to assume that this you can just uh, search. I don't know if it's on the work site or whether you can just you know search for the effectiveness code. Do you do you know James or how to get it? I, I don't. Really, I I can't even remember where I got it. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put a link to it on this episode uh, episode's show page, uh, and people can connect to it. It'll be on our website also at uh, onstrategyshowcase.com. Um, hey, thank you, James. The, the this series will start rolling out next week uh, with the first episode, which uh, which is an, uh, with Mark Ritson on defining object- objectives and setting um, um, budgets, etc. And and then we'll continue on from there. I think what we'll release a new one every second week uh, between between hopefully now and the end of the year we'll get all of the um, all of the episodes out and then the final episode in the series will be sort of a wrap up of the series and really talking about the fact that um, just like science and medicine what we learned this year is better than what we learned last year so you know there isn't the sense that everything is in stone that there's new discoveries made there's new thinking that help us think differently and improve the way we think uh, it, it doesn't mean that things that are discovered two years ago are wrong. It just means that things can be fine-tuned and extra extra learnings can come to the surface. So we're going to be thinking about in that final episode, well, what's next in effectiveness? So we'll have a sort of a panel discussion about that. Uh, James, thank you, man. James Herman, he is uh, the author of two great books. We've done an episode on future demand, uh, which is up on the website. And also The Case for Creativity is another terrific book that he's written. You can get both of them on Amazon. And James is the founding partner and previously unavailable uh, in Australia. Uh, I beg your pardon, in New Zealand. And um, we thank you, man. Yeah, hey, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you to Fergus and thank you to James for that discussion. Now, as I said at the start, we're going to be running one of these Effectiveness Series podcasts every week on the Walk channel, and they'll be going live every Tuesday. Um, next week, we have the inimitable Professor Mark Ritson on Starting Outright. So don't forget to tune in for that one. It should be a great discussion. Until next time, thanks for listening. 